So in chapter 7 of Matthew, Jesus is bringing the Sermon on the Mount to a close, and he talks about pears. Now, not pears that you eat, but two of something. Last week, Matt talked to us about the broad way and the narrow way. That's a pair of ways. Uh, In this passage, we hear about a pair of trees, a good tree and a bad tree, and uh, we also hear about a good doer and someone who is an incomplete doer. And then next week, we're going to talk about two houses, how there are houses that are well-built and houses that are not well-built. So why is Jesus doing this? Why, Why is he employing this compare and contrast model of teaching? Well, I think it's because Jesus wants us to clearly see the consequences of our choices, the consequences of our decisions. And let's face it, every decision you make has a consequence. Every choice you make, especially when it comes to relationships, has a consequence, especially when it comes to your relationship with your Heavenly Father. So Jesus understands that the influencers in your life really matter. Who will you listen to and what will you do? That's the key question. And in fact, that's the big point of the whole message today. You might want to write it down. Who will you listen to and then what will you do? So let's dive in and see what Jesus has to teach us. He starts in verse 15 by saying, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, this, if you're old enough, you will remember this. And if you're not old enough, just trust me, you can look it up on YouTube. This reminds me of some of the old Bugs Bunny cartoons where they had the the coyote or the sheep in wolf's clothing, and he was trying to always get the sheep. Well, actually, that comes from the Bible. You didn't know that Warner Brothers was inspired by Scripture, but it was. And just because somebody has advice for you or teaching for you or counsel for you or just because a leader says this is the way we should go doesn't automatically mean you should follow, take their advice, or listen to their counsel. One of the things that frustrates me is I will hear people say, I was, I was watching Ellen the other day and they had on some expert and the expert said, do this, so I'm going to try it. I want to say, whoa, whoa, let's pump the brakes. Just because it's on Dr. Phil or Oprah or Ellen, that doesn't mean that's what you should do. Just because somebody has TV time or social media following doesn't mean it's good counsel. Now, there are two places where false prophets or false teachers or false leaders operate. They operate inside the church, inside the body of Christ, inside this circle of Jesus followers, and they operate outside. So how do you identify these people? How do you identify people that you should not trust? Well, Jesus tells us, check their fruit. Look at what he says in verse 16. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? And of course, the answer would be no. Or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their, say the word with me, fruit. You didn't say it with me. Let's try this again. Thus, by their, you shall know them. Now, you hear Jesus talking about the two trees. There's a good tree and a bad tree. The word good in Greek means beautiful. It means profitable. It means the tree is doing what it's intended to do. The word bad means corrupt, 
decaying. It also means it's the wrong kind of tree. So in the orange groves at home in Florida, occasionally we'll have an acorn that will go under a tree, uh, get blown there by the wind, and it will get an oak sapling, start growing up underneath an orange tree. And we have thousands of trees. And you don't really spot everything in every tree. And sometimes, before you know it, you've got an oak tree about that big around growing straight up through an orange tree. It's the wrong kind of tree. We don't go out in that orange grove and say, you know, we ought to get in the acorn business. No, we're in the orange business. So what do we do? Well, the guys that work for us, they crank up a chainsaw, they go in, they cut down the tree, they yank the tree out of the orange tree, they go back with some white paint and some Roundup. Some of you know what this is for. You paint the stump so it doesn't grow back because we're in the orange business. An oak tree in the grove is the wrong kind of tree. There's some teachers, prophets, leaders, people who speak in the name of Jesus, and they're the wrong kind of tree. Check their fruit. How do you do that? Let me give you three helpful questions. First helpful question, what's the motive? What's the motive of the person? Are they doing it to pump up their ego, increase their power, their status? If you do what I do, this is a little tough because obviously every week I teach you, right? And I'm trying to help you find your best life by following Jesus Christ. Now here's the challenge for me is I tell you every week to do things that I struggle to do myself. Does this surprise you? None of you look shocked. And you shouldn't be. Because I, I think we're better off when we're transparent and we're saying, hey, I'm real, I struggle. In fact, can I just give you a piece of advice? Beware of people who seem like they have it all put together. Because there's nobody all put together. And if you see somebody who's got the perfect look with the perfect marriage and the perfect kids in the perfect house, driving the perfect car, living the perfect life, somewhere there's a lie. For all who sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you've got to check. See, what is their motive? What's, what's really happening here? And here's a second question you might find helpful. Does the teaching align with God's word? Can I tell you just because somebody says something is in the Bible doesn't mean it's in the Bible? This is one of the reasons you need to study the Bible for yourself. Why you need to be a student of God's word. Because ultimately, you're responsible for knowing what scripture says and what it doesn't say. Now, the idea of false prophets is not anything new. Right after the New Testament was written, and actually during that period, and some, there's some overlap, there were a lot of prophets that went from town to town, church to church, and they would arrive and they say, I'm a prophet, gather all the Christians, I'm going to talk to them. And they were not all trustworthy. So, there was a book written uh, called the Didache, which means teaching, and there's a section in it. It was written about 120 A.D., and there's a section in it about how to tell if a prophet is a true prophet or a false prophet. And one of, the one of the sayings from the Didache is this, does the prophet love his own ideas above God's word? Ooh. See, I, I have met some people who call themselves Christians, and they love their own ideas above God's word. Do you need proof of that? There clearly says in God's word, love your enemies. But what they post on social media, 
That's not God's word. I have met some preachers who in God's name will tell people something, but it's their own idea and it doesn't line up with God's word. Some of them have TV shows. I had more than one professor who was more in love with their own ideas than God's word. That's why at our church we say the Bible is the bottom line. Now let me just, can I make everybody real uncomfortable? I'm going to do that several times during this sermon, I hope. If you really adhere to God's word, it means you're going to have to accept there are places that you wish the Bible was clearer, and it's not. But you're also going to have to accept that where it's clear, you should really do what it says. Let me get to the last one. You need to ask who benefits? When you're weighing out somebody's teaching, you really need to ask, who benefits from this? Remember the word good means profitable. Does it benefit just the teacher or does it benefit the student? Somebody, this is years ago, somebody gave me a CD and said, you need to listen to this. And one day I didn't have anything else to listen to, so I popped it in, and I got quickly captured by this guy. This guy was, he was a veterinarian, and he had discovered the secret to weight loss. And uh, apparently, if you took this particular combination of vitamins and pills and ate these particular kind of foods, you could eat whatever you wanted and you could lose weight. I was interested. But I was a little bit skeptical. So I took it to a friend of mine who's a pharmacist and I printed out some information and I, I said, hey, what do you think about this? And he looked at it and he said, what is this? I said, well, the guy's a veterinarian and he, he knows chemistry and, you know, and I didn't do well in chemistry. And, and, but it sounds, it sounds really good. sounds plausible. The guy uses all the right words. And, and if I just send him $229, he'll send me vitamins and then I just keep paying him. You know, and this is, by the way, this is an introductory rate, so you know it's going to go up. If I just send him $229 and then I think it was $150 a month, I'll get this packet of vitamins and I can eat what I want and I'll lose weight. I said, what do you think? And my friend, the pharmacist, looked at me and he said, I think a fool and his money are soon parted. <laughs> Who benefits? Think the vet was benefiting? Yeah. Can I just throw this in? There's no shortcuts. There's no magic formula. Even people who come to you and say, if you'll do these three basic things, your kids will turn out perfect. <laughs> right? Because every kid's different. Every parent's different. That's why you've got to ask who benefits. So don't miss the key point. Jesus is telling us you are responsible for knowing the truth. You're responsible. Not your mama, not your grandmama, not your pastor, not even whoever you listen to on Fox or CNN or MSNBC or whatever you watch. You're responsible for knowing the truth. That's why we say you can't outsource your own spiritual growth. You have to do it yourself. You're responsible for your relationship with God. Now I told you there's two places where false prophets operate. The first is inside the body of Christ. Inside the circle of believers. The second place is outside. And I won't spend a lot of time here, but right now in our world with social media, everybody can be an expert if they can attract enough followers 
on Instagram or YouTube, right? And just because someone has a lot of followers on Instagram or YouTube, does that mean you should listen to them? I don't know if you've heard of uh, Derek Janix. Derek Janix bills himself as a relationship guru. He offers relationship advice on Instagram and on YouTube. He does these little videos. They're short. You look at them. Gives you some relationship wisdom. Uh, he, he doesn't really go into a lot of detail about why he's a relationship guru other than offering the fact that he's been married four years. Now, everybody who just laughed has been married more than four years, right? So this year, Derek Jennix was caught by his wife cheating, not with one or two, with about four different women. Now we understand what kind of relationship guru he is. He's a juggler. Do you know what he and his wife did? They made a YouTube video on forgiveness. Okay, now, now, now maybe it's real. Maybe, it, maybe it's real, right? But can we acknowledge that maybe we ought to have just a little skepticism? That maybe this guy, just because he's got a lot of followers on social media, isn't the best source of wisdom for us? Watch for the disconnect. Does a person actually do what they tell other people to do? You know, this was Jesus' indictment of the Pharisees. They tie heavy burdens on the backs of men, and, and then they can't do it themselves. They don't even lift a finger to help. The advice that you take will make or break your relationships. Whether we're talking about your marriage, your friends, your kids, or your relationship with your Heavenly Father. So what would happen if you let God advise you? If you actually went to God about your marriage and said, what am I supposed to do? My marriage is kind of in tough shape. What am I supposed to do? And you might be surprised. Because God's already told us what to do, submit and serve. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. You might need to talk to somebody. You might need to get some good counsel. But you need to make sure it's somebody who's trustworthy. Maybe you're struggling in a friendship. What does God tell you to do? Well, God will tell you the key to a good friendship is all over the book of Proverbs. You've got to be there. You've got to support. You've got to encourage comes to parenting what does God tell you that the the key to being a good parent is now here's the surprise I hear parents from time to time say I just want to be my kids best friend and every time I hear that I cringe because it's like I don't think that's what it means to be a dad or a mom I think to be a dad or a mom you're trying to help your kids get ready for life and, and can I tell you now I've got three adult children thankfully all of whom now are married They still need me. They still need encouragement. They still need advice. They still need support. It's changed. But if I'm just focusing on being their best friend and trying just to, to do only what pleases them, I'm going to fail them. And I think it's especially critical in our relationship with God. 
I've been to a lot of family gatherings uh, over the last couple of months, some for very sad reasons, some for joyous reasons. And inevitably, at every family gathering, uh, I some have a conversation that goes something like this. A guy, somebody will say, a guy will come up to me and say, hey, I've been watching you. I've been watching you. I was like, well, thanks. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate everybody who watches online. And then, and then they will they'll say something to me like, you know, you, 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 you preach interesting sermons. Never know how to react to that. And then they'll say something like, but you know, it really just all comes down to being a good person, doesn't it? And that's when I look at them and I say, no, it doesn't. It's not about being a good person. Because none of us is good enough. And you know this. I mean, if we just play the comparison game, right? I can come out looking good. I mean, if you compare a, a rotten orange to a rotten apple, <laughs> I mean, you might look better as a rotten orange, but they're both rotten. So, if you stop the comparison game, you really realize that everybody messes up, everybody sins, everybody needs grace, everybody needs forgiveness. And if you don't come to your heavenly father and say, I accept the gift of forgiveness that comes through your son, Jesus Christ, you're missing it. You're missing it. If you don't actually take that step of committing and saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, it doesn't do good. It's not good enough to be good enough. You've got to admit you're messed up and you need Jesus. And then you follow him. So this is what Jesus says in this first comparison. He says, hey, there's two trees. Good tree, bad tree. Two trees. Beware of the fruit of the bad tree. It'll make you sick. Beware of the false prophets. Don't trust them. Now Jesus is going to pivot, and you'll hear the pivot in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is kind of a scary verse. Especially if you think of yourself as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, it ought to make you hit pause on your soul and say, wait a minute, what about me? So who enters the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says it in the last part of verse 21. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Which, of course, quickly leads us to this question, what is the will of our heavenly Father? People make this more complicated than it has to be. We've already talked about it. The will of God for your life is that you come to know him, you ask forgiveness, you live as a forgiven person, and you follow Jesus. Now, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. It's not complicated. Is it hard to do? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But Jesus is patient with us. He encourages us. He keeps calling us back to focus on him. Now, if you are serious about following Jesus, it means you must constantly ask, what is the will of my heavenly father? What is the will of our Heavenly Father? What does He want me to do? You need to ask this question as you process your life, as you go through the day. Is it the will of your Heavenly Father for you to live exhausted? 
This is one of the reasons you should always come to this service because things happened to me prior. I was talking to a guy just a little bit ago, and I asked him, how are you doing? He said, man, I'm just, whew, I'm exhausted. And he looked at me and said, how are you doing? I said, whew, man, I'm exhausted. And then it hit me. Everybody I have talked to in the last two months tells me the same thing. I haven't met one person in the last two months who says, I feel well-rested and at peace. <laughs> Not one. Do you think that's the will of your Heavenly Father? No. Which means you may need to, like me, remember this is one of these times I'm telling you to do something that I struggle with myself. You need to find some space to make sure your soul is good and healthy. If you're doing the will of your Heavenly Father. Can I just step on everybody's toes about different things? Well, I'm going to. Let's talk about your money. You ever ask God, what is the will for my money? Most of you don't. Most of you are basically focused on how do I get more? How do I spend what I have? God's will for your money is so plain. The book of Proverbs. Spend less than you make. Save be generous. And guess what? You don't get to define generosity. Because <laughs> some of you think you are generous when you upgrade from a $10 bill to a $20 bill. And Jesus says, no, generosity starts at 10%. That's where it starts. And can I talk to you about your relationships? What's the will of your Heavenly Father? We've already talked about it about marriage, about friends, about your kids. Even, even here at church, what is God's will for us as a church as we relate to each other? Love each other as I have loved you. That's the will of your Heavenly Father. See, see this isn't that complicated, is it? Yet it is hard to do. And, and, and because I know there's some of you here who are in the dating phase of life, can I just tell you? I can tell you part of God's will for you in dating. You say, how do you know? I went to school. Okay, but it's real easy. If you're dating, it's God's absolute will for you not to harm the person you're dating. Absolutely, you should not harm the person you're dating. Which is another reason why you need to think seriously about having sex outside of marriage, because that complicates things. And maybe this is the person you're supposed to marry. It scares me sometimes because when I counsel couples who are getting married, I ask, why do you want to get married? And they say, because we love each other. And yeah, that's a good reason. I almost never hear anybody say, we prayed about it and we feel like this is the person God wants me to serve the rest of my life. See, that's marriage. It takes some of us a long time to learn that. I'm trying to help those of you in a dating relationship learn it faster. Now, Jesus says there's a second kind of doer. The first kind of doer actually does the will of his heavenly Father. The second kind of doer is the one who does great things in Jesus' name. They preach in Jesus' name. They see results. They, they do miracles in Jesus' name. They see results. They, they even cast out demons in Jesus' name, and they see results. And yet Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's kind of scary. About 20 years ago, we had somebody on our church staff, and he had gotten real enamored of a TV preacher. I don't know, I'm kind of treading on some TV preachers today, but they're not here. So 
He'd gotten real enamored of this guy, and he said, man, every time he preaches, they show pictures of people going down the aisle. It's amazing. And every time he preaches, there's somebody who gets healed. Every time he preaches, he's like casting out demons. Man, this guy has got it going on. I said, whoa, 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 buddy. And I actually pointed him to this passage. I said, apparently, you can do great things in Jesus' name and still not really be doing the will of your heavenly Father. Now, I don't know if the guy on TV was doing the will of his heavenly father or not, but here's what I do know. God is more interested in your soul than in your success. God's more interested in your soul than in your success. And in the moment when we stand before Jesus, you see, Jesus' followers believe there will be a time when we stand before Jesus, it's called Judgment Day. When we stand before Jesus, Jesus is not going to ask us, how successful were you? He's going to ask us, hey, How's your soul? Did you grow your soul to be like mine? Did you grow your character to be like mine? Now to really do this, we have to understand that all of chapter 7 is an extension of something Jesus said in chapter 6. In chapter 6, and if you grew up in church, you've heard this, but I, just, I want us to make sure we tack it in hard. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You get your relationship with Jesus correct and everything else falls in line. Doesn't mean everything's gonna be perfect or you're not gonna have any problems. It just means you've ordered things correctly. And you begin to realize, like for example in your marriage, that it's not just about making you happy. I love what Gary Thomas said, marriage is not about making you holy, not about making you happy, it's, let me start over again. Marriage is about making you holy, not happy. Yeah, happiness gets in there, but listen, there's nothing like being married to show you your faults and your flaws, right? And to show you some places where you've got a, you know what a wood plane is, how it shaves off wood? You've got to shave off some things in your character that are kind of gr ugly and gross. It's the same thing that when you go to a dermatologist and he looks at that mole and he says, that thing's got to come off because that's nasty. You've got some nasty warts on your soul. and They've got to come off. Marriage will show you where the warts are. You don't like it. You spend a lot of time denying the warts are there. But they are. Listen, is there anything like being a parent to teach you humility? How many of you need to be humble? Apparently none of you, nobody's raising their hand. But the truth is we all need that, right? And, and being a parent will help you. It's a holy calling. That's why you need God's direction and guidance. God's gonna bring some people in your life for you to love. Some of them will be easy to love. Some of them will have difficult aspects of, your per, of their personality, and God wants you to love them. And some of them you just can't stand, and God says, love your enemies. God, I, I want to love my enemies at a distance. Why do they have to work with me? You see? You see? So what do we do with all this? Two things, real quick. Listen to good counsel. Know who you can trust. Check their fruit. Don't listen just to anybody who says they speak in the name of God. Check their fruit. And then secondly, do the will of your heavenly Father. And we've talked about the basics already. 
Accept Jesus, ask forgiveness of your sins, follow him. Ask often, what is the will of my heavenly father? What is the will of my heavenly father? I was talking not too long ago to a mom who has an adult daughter. And the adult daughter's just been real difficult. And um, said hurtful things, done some hurtful things. And so I just, I kind of leaned in. I said, well, how are you dealing with that? That's got to be tough. And she said, I am forgiving her. Day by day, little by little, I'm forgiving her. And that was not the response I expected. And I said, that's, that's amazing that you're doing that. Why? She said, well, I know it is the will of my Heavenly Father for me to forgive, even when it's hard and I don't want to. So I'm doing a little bit of forgiveness every day until it's done. So I've got to finish up with the tough question. Are you one who talks a lot about Jesus? Or are you actually doing the will of your heavenly Father? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have to start with confessing we don't often do your will. It's, it's hard for us. We know it. It's hard for us. So first, make us wise so we don't listen to false teachers. Second, Father, help us never, never to be the one who just speaks about you but doesn't do your will. And finally, God, help us do your will. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. And for those who've never done your will and accepted Jesus as Savior, I pray that today they take that next step. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name.